last week, as we began the first of two parts here, first obedience, we are in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We'll be there again this morning. Just by way of review, in verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, his disciples and those who were gathered around, it wasn't just 11 guys there, there was a sizable number that Jesus was speaking to here. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And really, everything we do is a result of that. We answer to Jesus. He set the bar, he set the standard, he sets the rules. We answer to him. At the end of our lives, when we stand before God in judgment, we answer to Jesus. God has turned that over to him. That's why we take his word seriously. Because we answer to Jesus, we're expected to do what he has said. And so last week, we we mentioned baptism because here in this, what we call the Great Commission, Jesus told his followers to go and proclaim the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we do this out of obedience. It's a symbolic act. What happened this morning doesn't really change anything in the grand scheme of things in in young Ben's life, but it is a marker of what has happened internally. I'm making a stand with Jesus, a public stand. It's an act of obedience symbolizing death to self and a new life in and through Jesus Christ. He asked us to do it, so we do it in obedience. We talked about giving, and New Testament giving is sacrificial generosity. Jesus gave up everything. He put aside everything that he had. Just, I cannot get my head wrapped around it. You know, you get a small taste when, you know, especially this morning, you know, you walk outside and it's 120% humidity. It's not hot, but it's just, I'm so grateful for air conditioning. But I think of, you know, so many who put aside all the comforts of home to go somewhere else to live and proclaim the gospel, and they put it aside to preach, to teach, to be a missionary. And, and that's just a, a small thing in comparison to what Jesus laid aside to come and live a life as a fully human being. He gave up everything. He is the definition of sacrificial generosity on our behalf. And so in response, he's calling us to a life of sacrificial generosity as an act of first obedience. It's just, as a follower of Christ, it's who we are. It's what we're becoming. So this morning, I want to look at evangelism and discipleship as acts of first obedience. It's not something, there are things that we grow into, but there are also things that it's just, it's expected. Obedience looks different for each of us as individuals, but we're all expected to be obeying, to live a life of obedience in these two areas. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're not doing this on our own. Jesus is with us. In Mark chapter 16, Verse 15, Mark records what Jesus said a little bit differently. He said, go and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go and proclaim. Speak it. Say it. Growing up, as far back as I can remember in the church that that I was a part of, until I graduated from high school and, and moved, moved away. But we had pastors that would, would say that in Matthew 28 and, and in Mark 16, the word go is just an imperative. We go. As a follower of Christ, it's our act of obedience to go. And then we wait for God to redirect us as we go. So as a follower of Christ, I am set on ministry. I'm set on missions to going somewhere across the world, across the country to proclaim the gospel. That's our calling. And we seek out, we're actively seeking out God's plan for us. And, and maybe, and I have friends, and I, and I guess I'd be lumped in this category as I go, and I was looking at getting into ministry, you know, door shut, and I was redirected, and, this, and now here I'm at, for now, you know, I, <laughs> we don't know, live, none of us are living a life that we probably imagined for ourselves 20 years ago. Maybe some are. I'd say most of us aren't. But we go and we allow God to direct and redirect. And we proclaim the gospel as we go. We're seeking out God's plan in order to go and preach. It's an active pursuit. Sometime, I think I was out of college, the first time I heard another good and godly individual, and since that time I've heard good and godly men say, you know, as you translate the Greek, it's more accurate, it's not go, it's as you go, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Meaning, as I'm going, whatever my pursuit is, the circle that I find myself in, I proclaim the gospel. And I would say it's both and. I believe it's an active pursuit. And where God leads us and directs us as we actively pursue him. And if that's overseas on the mission field, if that's in full-time ministry, if that's the blue-collar job doing the grungiest job imaginable to man, if it's the most white, squeaky-collar job you could ever get, you proclaim the gospel to those you're coming in contact with. Wherever I go, I will live out Colossians 4, verse 5. 
making the most of every opportunity in an active pursuit. Go and make disciples. Go and proclaim the gospel. You hear the word the gospel, or gospel, the words. Gospel means good news. And it's not just good news because it didn't rain today. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's very specific. The Greek word is the same word from which we get evangelism, evangelize, evangelical. When you, hear, when you hear those words, it means good news, evangelism. Going back to the Greek, it means good news. We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We're called to proclaim the good news as individuals. It's not just a program that the church does. It's not just something that those who are gifted in this area, that it's for them to do, and I'll do my thing over here where I'm gifted. We're all called as a matter of first obedience to proclaim the gospel. It's not just sharing my testimony. This is how knowing Jesus has been a good thing for me. That can be part of it, but that's not proclaiming the gospel in and of itself. It's not just living a good life so that people see that it's different. I think the gospel, sharing the gospel, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ is best summed up in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. And here we find Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. In all of scripture, this is probably the most concise summary of what the gospel is, what the good news of Jesus is. He died according to the scriptures. And he was raised again according to the scriptures. When we proclaim the gospel, as we practice evangelism, what it is is taking people to the word of God and showing them from this book what Jesus has done. And then we call them to repentance. And we trust the Holy Spirit to draw them to Jesus. That is the heart of evangelism. That is what it is. Romans 10, 17, I I say it all the time. It's always in the forefront of my mind because it's such a freeing verse for me. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's not my deal. It's not my testimony that's going to save somebody. It's not my great effort or my ability to communicate that's going to save somebody. It's the word of God used by the spirit of God to draw individuals to the son of God is what brings salvation. 
It is our job to go and proclaim it, to say it, to speak it, to live it. Evangelism is taking people to the Bible and explaining who Jesus is, what he did, and why it is we so desperately needed that. My go-to method, you know, I, I don't know who first come up with it. Well, God first came up with it. I don't know who first put it together, marketed it or whatever, but the Romans Road is my go-to thing. It's what I've become most comfortable with. It's what I practice with the most. But taking people through the book of Romans and showing them from Scripture why it is we need Jesus. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. No exceptions. In Psalm 51, we find that we were sinners from the time we were conceived. I don't, I'm not a sinner because I sinned. I sinned because I was born a sinner. I just get more accomplished at it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No exceptions. We serve a holy God who cannot accept sin into his presence. That excludes us as sinners. That's a problem. It becomes a bigger problem because in Romans 6.23 we read that the wages of sin is death. Because I'm a sinner, I have earned death. Those are my wages. But you keep reading in 6.23, we find, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus provides a way. Romans 5, 6 through 11. I'll make sure I read it so I don't mess it up. We have the free gift of God through Jesus Christ. But how do we access that? What do we go, how do we go about it? In Romans chapter 5, 6 through 11, for while we were still weak or morally helpless, at the right time, it wasn't random, it wasn't by coincidence, it was planned. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would even dare to die. One might even dare to die, but God shows his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. It's a continuing act of God. He, we are saved and he continues to save. 
I couldn't do it on my own. The only thing I'm capable of, I can pay for my own sin. That is a possibility. Payment for my own sin demands my life, demands eternity separated from God Almighty with no hope of reconciliation. That's how I pay for my own sin. Or I can surrender my life to Jesus who has paid for my sin. I can accept his free gift and be reconciled to God through his once-for-all sacrifice. In Romans 10, 9 through 13, that process looks like this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no might, there's no maybe, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I can be angry and ticked off at an individual and hope, like Jonah, that they don't respond. Because they've earned what they've got coming, as if I haven't. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the reason that's important is because Acts 4.12 tells us that Jesus is the only way. There is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. He is it. He is the way. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, it's not a way, the way. When we proclaim the gospel, we take people to the word of God and we allow the spirit of God to work, to use that continue to use that. If you remember when Tony Haug was here talking about how 20 years ago or 25 years ago, early in their ministry there, that young lady, the young girl, home life is kind of a wreck and she was coming to church and this and that and good things seemed to be happening and all of a sudden she disappeared. And now suddenly, 20 or 25 years later, just this spring, she was baptized after 20 years of going off and doing whatever, God used his word planted in her 20-some years ago to draw her back. And she walks into church and says, oh, I remember you. <laughs> we proclaim the gospel out of obedience. We go, therefore, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. This is discipleship. There are some that are all gung-ho on evangelism. 
and go, and we're going to say it as much, and we're going to hand out tracts, and we're going to go here, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And without the discipleship process to follow up, what you have are a lot of immature believers who never get past that first step. And we're called upon to disciple. And you can say, well, I, I, I can go proclaim the gospel. And I, you know, I've never had anybody say, hey, this is what I want. But I promise you, if you start praying for opportunities to do so, you start praying for opportunities, God, would you bring somebody into my life to A, disciple me, or B, that I can disciple? He will answer that prayer. I promise you. I promise you. Because one, it's the will of God. And we're told in Scripture, you pray anything according to my will, I will answer. And if Jesus himself, one of the last things he says before he ascends into heaven is go and make disciples, you ask for someone that you can disciple, it's going to happen. And this can be an intimidating, sometimes scary thing. What do we do? What does it look like? Nobody's ever done this for me. Well, ask God to bring someone into your life to do this for you, to show you what it looks like. Ask God to bring someone into your life that you can come alongside and show them what it means to obey all that Jesus has commanded. In Titus chapter 2, this is one of the pastoral epistles. Paul is writing a young man that he has discipled, that he has mentored. He's reminding him, this is, this is what it boils down to. This is what it's all about. And in chapter 2, we see that we are to teach the younger or the less mature in Christ to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and instead, fastness. And this can be very formal. It can be very informal. But we're called upon to do this. And obedience. It's not something we can opt out of. Obedience demands it. We need to be discipled. I look back the summer before my sixth and seventh grade year, a pastor who had just come to our church, he grabbed me and a couple other guys my age and says, hey, would you want to meet once a week this summer? I don't know what we did. We met at Holmes Park. I remember that. If you're not from Lincoln, you have no idea. As a kid, Holmes Park was the greatest. It's just a dump. It's, but that's where we met. A little dirty lake you didn't even want to wade in. And I would ride my old 10-speed garage sale bicycle three and a half, four miles from my house to Holmes Lake where we met that summer. I don't remember what we studied, but I remember watching this guy's life. And just seeing that the things he did 
He wasn't just saying, this is what you should do. It was what he did. And a year later, an individual, you know, nearing retirement age, just coming alongside of me and say, hey, would you like to go out for breakfast? Uh, not really. It seems a little weird. I don't really know you. But staying after it and inviting me into his life, kind of inserting himself in my life, challenging me to memorize scripture. To this day, every time I see him, what are you learning? What have you read? What have you memorized? 30 years later. I've seen him do that with countless individuals. Discipling, coming alongside, teaching us to obey. Because we need to learn how to read and understand the Bible. We need to be taught to do that. So that we can interpret it rightly, correctly, so we don't end off in the area of false teaching. We need to learn how to properly pray and pursue God. You read in the Old Testament, and and in the first five books of the Bible, God is forever telling the Israelites, you will worship me this way. You will not worship me in the ways that the people in the lands around you worship their gods. This is the right and proper way, and we need to learn how to worship and pursue God in the right and proper way. We need to learn how to properly interact with the world. We need to learn how to properly interact with God's people. We need to learn how to live out 1 Corinthians 11.1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You don't follow me because I've got it all figured out and I'm doing it perfectly. You follow me as I follow Christ's example. Christ had it figured out and he did it perfectly. That's my goal. That's what I'm striving for. So I invite you in. This is how it goes. Watch how I do it. Learn how to do it better. A few things to know and remember in a discipleship relationship. These things I've learned, I've seen, I've been taught. Some of these things are things, you know, it's hear me now and believe me later. But the one who is being discipled needs to put in 80 or 90% of the work. If I come alongside of somebody and it takes all my effort, energy, just to try to keep them focused and directed and redirected and come on and we're going to do this, what's it going to... It's not, obviously they aren't ready or they're not interested. You'll just frustrate yourself. You find someone who's willing to put in 80 or 90% of the effort and you're going to have something. And you'll be excited to take on the next project two or three or four years down the road as they reach maturity and begin to reproduce themselves. That's on the one being discipled. On the one who is doing the discipling, you need to dial back your expectations. Because the temptation is to go in and say, you know what? Billy Graham's going to have nothing on this one. 
This one's going to be a missionary somewhere where nobody's ever even been. This one's going to be a pastor. And what you find out is that as they go and they pursue God and God directs them where he wants them, I might be bitterly disappointed where God takes them because that's not what I had in mind. One of the men that mentored me, I remember him telling me, it was a guy that he had spent a lot of time and he invested a lot of money in and it seemed as if this individual was really getting it and all of a sudden they just do a 180 and they make a shipwreck of their faith. And I asked this guy, he says, how do you bear that? And I don't necessarily believe him, but he says, I went into it with zero expectations. Like, how do you do that? You've got to have some expectations. Oh, you do, but I try to go into it with zero expectation for how this individual will turn out. I trust God with the results. I act in obedience and I trust God to carry through. So as you find somebody younger, less mature to disciple, you dial back your expectations of what they're going to become. And you pray and you ask God that they would become a mature, self-feeding, fully functional follower of Jesus. However that looks in God's plan for their life. My job is to teach The other individual's job is to obey. I'm not responsible for what they do with the information. I'm responsible for teaching, for leading, for showing. I'm responsible for finding someone older, wiser, more mature to lead and teach me where I need to be led and to be taught. And we pray, and we pray, and we pray. We pray for opportunity to proclaim the good news. We pray for courage and boldness to proclaim it as we should. The Apostle Paul prayed, asked people to pray for him that way. If Mr. Blunt needs prayer, and boldness, then so do I. We pray that God would bring someone into our lives that would disciple us, show us the ropes. We pray that God would bring someone into our life that we could disciple. We pray for open minds and hearts to receive and believe the gospel and respond in repentance. It's not really an option for the follower of Christ. This isn't somebody else's job. This isn't something that the church needs to develop in a specific program in order to make this happen. As individuals, we make up the church, the body of Christ. 
As individuals, we repented and we came to faith in Jesus Christ. And as individuals, we are called on to obey as he leads us. And we're called on to obey in baptism and giving, and we're called on to obey in evangelism and discipleship. It's not an option. And if you feel as if, man, I'm just not getting anywhere. This this seems way too hard. Perhaps it's because you haven't stepped through and obeyed in one of these areas. And God is waiting to just step out and obey. And watch what I will do as you trust me in obedience. Rush me in. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy.org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.